It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, thank you as always for listening. This is our Q&A pod. Thank you to everyone who sent their questions in. We got a good amount of questions. Actually, I'd say we got just the right amount of questions that I could spend a decent amount of time on each one. Now, I've grouped these questions into three categories. In part one, I'll answer questions related to De Laurentiis and the club in general. In part two, we'll talk about the transfer market. And in part three, we'll cover the Feminile and our first friendly at Di Maro. So let's get started with Gina on Facebook who asks, Do you think Napoli will be sold when the De Laurentiis family are no longer able to own two clubs? So this question, of course, is referring to the Fiji Cheese rule that as of the start of the 2024-25 campaign, no individual owner or their family members can own more than one Italian football club at any level. Now, this was actually the subject of an episode of the Forza Napoli Worldwide series that we did back in January with Ralph Bizzaro of the Napoli Rant. So if you want more detail, be sure to check that out. It's actually one of my favorite episodes. We had a lot of fun with it. We got really into the weeds, and that was around the time of the rumors that Jeff Bezos might buy the club, so we also talked about Amazon. But in short, we argued that it probably makes more sense for De Laurentiis to sell Napoli and keep Batty for the following reasons. First, De Laurentiis is 73 years old. Just physically, he may not be able to continue to do this for much longer. Second, Batty has a much higher ceiling. Napoli's been near the top of Serie A for a while now. While there are still opportunities to grow the club and the brand, he could sell pretty high right now considering how low he paid for the club. 
Badi just got promoted from Sedi Chi to Sedi B, so there's plenty of potential to add value to the club, specifically by achieving promotion to Sedi A and then by staying up. His son Luigi is already the president of Badi, so Aurelio could retire or perhaps semi-retire and assist his son where needed. Now, presumably, he could do the same thing at Napoli if he elects to sell Badi. Even though Edo is a vice president at Napoli, I think it's clear that Luigi is the current heir to the throne. So financially, it would certainly make sense to sell Badi, but since then, we've gotten mixed signals from the family. Back in April, De Laurentiis told the Zone that he will appeal the Fiji Chi's decision to the highest level, and if he is still unsuccessful, then he will sell Badi. However, about a week and a half ago, Luigi gave an interview to Tutto Sport about the upcoming Serie B season, and he was asked what he would do if Badi earned promotion to Serie A, and Luigi jokingly responded, that he would sell Napoli. Now, he said that in jest, but it does make you wonder if there is any truth to that. To answer the question though, despite the argument that Raf and I made on that episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, if I had to take a guess based on all the information we have today, I'd say they will keep Napoli and sell Badi. We got a related question from Max on Twitter. He asks, What's your opinion on ADL ownership? We all know what he has done for Napoli, but maybe time to sell. Want to hear your opinion if you want ADL to sell. He added that Insigne's gone, Koulibaly's gone, and maybe Mertens will be gone because of salary and disrespectful contract negotiations. Okay, so I have mixed feelings on this one. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer, just differences of opinion. I do not like the way that De Laurentiis speaks about Napoli fans. He thinks he's always the smartest person in the room. I also don't like how he approached the negotiations with Insigne Koulibaly and what is ongoing with Mertens. Part of me thinks that he never had any intention of signing any of those players because they're all in their 30s and they are the highest paid players on the team. There have even been reports that De Laurentiis only made the offer to Koulibaly after Chelsea came in with their bid. In other words, it wasn't a real bid. However, De Laurentiis has an excellent track record when it comes to the Mercato. We've had a few tough seasons here and there, but we've been playing in the Champions League for the better part of a decade, and on two occasions we came very, very close to winning the Scudetto. As much as we love to blame De Laurentiis for everything, neither of those two seasons were his fault, and I wonder if he would be so hated if we happened to win the Scudetto during one of those seasons. Now, people say he doesn't spend enough, even though he spent 40 million euros on Manolas, 40 million euros on Lozano, and let's call it 50 million euros on Osimen in consecutive seasons. Sure, he hasn't made a big purchase during the pandemic, but who has? I don't see Inter, Milan, and Juve making big splashes either. Everyone is signing players on a free. People say he always sells our star players. Before Koulibaly, who was the last star player he sold? Probably Higuain. Now, he could have cashed in on guys like Koulibaly, Fabian, and Zielinski in the past, but he chose to keep them. I'm sure I'll get some heated response to this, but I simply don't buy the argument that he doesn't have the ambition to win. I think he wants to win as much as anyone else, but he wants to win in a sustainable way. He doesn't want to bury the club in debt. Most fans completely ignore the business aspect, and frankly, there's nothing wrong with him running the club as a business. It is a business. It's easy for us as fans to say he needs to take on more debt like the other big clubs do because the fans deserve a title. I agree, the fans do deserve a title, 
But it's easy for us to tell someone else to take on more debt. It's not our money we're spending, it's his. And finally, the argument I really don't understand is that De Laurentiis ought to sell the club because his ceiling is top four. It's his club, he can do whatever he wants with it. We may not like how he runs the club, but he bought the club, it's his right to run it as he deems fit. There's something very unsettling to me about hoping and praying that he sells the club to an oil tycoon so we can just buy a Scudetto, because that is really what people are asking for. Everyone assumes that if he sells the club, it's going to be to some super rich person who has endless resources and can just keep buying all the best players. But who's to say that he sells it to someone with bottomless pockets? He could just as well sell to one of these investment firms who are only interested in holding the club for a few years and then flipping it. That's how Inter and Milan ended up with decade-long banter eras. Just selling the club doesn't mean that the club will be successful. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. And because I'm generally risk-averse, I'm content putting up with his shenanigans in the media knowing that in any given season, we could compete for the Scudetto. Now, you might say to me, well, Joe, Inter and Milan won the Scudetto over the last two seasons, so maybe it's worth it. But we are not the same size as those clubs. They are too big to fail. The rest of the league would be very happy allowing Napoli to fail, and that exact thing happened in the mid-2000s. Let's go to Matt on Twitter next. It was actually Matt's idea to do the Q&A pod, so thank you, Matt, for that. Matt sent us a couple of questions. The first is, why or how would ADL implement an image and likeness sign away for his players, and does that hurt the club? I don't think De Laurentiis has ever explained why it is so critical to him that players hand over their image rights. I can only speculate, but knowing how De Laurentiis is... I'd hypothesize that this has to do with our transfer strategy of buying young players before their prime. We tend to buy players from clubs like PSV, Club Bruges, Lille, Hellas Verona, and oftentimes these players are relatively unknown when they join Napoli. Then we develop them into world-class players like Cavani, Koulibaly, Mertens, and so on, and suddenly they're known all over the world. In other words, During their time at Napoli, the value of their personal brands grew significantly. Now, obviously, they play a role in that, too. They're still the ones putting in the work and playing the game on the field. But I imagine, in De Laurentiis' eyes, their value has gone up because of Napoli. Now, again, this is just my best guess, but we know how De Laurentiis is, and if that's true, De Laurentiis would want to capture that value that he believes was created by the club, rather than letting the players get rich off of the club's work. Does that hurt the club? Absolutely, it does. I am sure there are quality players out there who simply refuse to move to Napoli because they don't want to give up their image rights. In particular, this rule is a huge disincentive for well-established players. Apparently, we almost lost out on Chucky Lozano over this very issue. The same thing happened with Mario Rui a few years prior to that. Lozano's image rights and sponsorship contracts were estimated at the time to be worth around 4 to 5 million euros a year. Now, just this week, Lozano posted a picture on social media of him doing an ad for Gatorade. Gatorade happens to be owned by Pepsi. 
Pepsi was previously a sponsor of Napoli, but this season we replaced them with their biggest rival, at least in the soft drink industry. PepsiCo is a massive, massive company. So we partnered with Coca-Cola, and at the same time, Lozano was doing ads for Pepsi. To me, that is clear evidence that Lozano has retained at least a portion of his image rights. Lozano signed a five-year contract in 2019, so this is now his fourth season with Napoli. Perhaps the deal was that Napoli would own his image rights for the first three seasons, because we haven't really seen him post anything like that over the last few seasons, and Lozano would get them back for the final two seasons. Who knows? The most recent example of image rights potentially being an issue is with Paolo Dybala. Image rights have been cited as a stumbling block in the negotiations, but given the Lozano situation, it seems like they can work something out. The reality is, when you go after well-established players who have already grown the value of their personal brands, it's very difficult to get them to give up their image rights. For players who have given up their image rights, De Laurentiis has shown that he has no problems enforcing his contracts, especially if you're not in his good books. A couple of seasons ago, he sued Arkadouj Milik for using his image in an advertisement for a restaurant that Milik himself owned. Let's move on to Matt's next question. He asks, I think rhetorically, why is Napoli's English-speaking slash North American marketing so bad? I'm going to combine that question with another question we got from Joseph on Twitter. He says, realistically, what would it take for Napoli to become a permanent member status-wise with the big three or four in Italy, Juve, Inter, Milan, and Roma, Whilst on the pitch we may be similar, off the pitch and with global branding, we are nowhere close. Now I've combined those two questions because I think a big reason Serie A as a whole, not just Napoli, has struggled to grow is because of its failure to address English speakers. This was something Serie A commentator and friend of the pod David Ferrini addressed in a recent episode of the Lega Football podcast. David's podcast is relatively new, but I highly recommend giving it a listen. David also commentates on Serie B games, so between him and his guests, he covers Italian football at various different levels. Now, David recently interviewed Adriano Del Monte. Adriano is a pundit for various different media outlets, including B in Sports. And Adriano's been the primary source of information on Serie's handling of TV rights in the MENA region, which is the Middle East and North Africa. If you're not familiar with that story, the TV rights for that region were once worth about 100 million euros a season, and Lega Serie just accepted a three-year deal worth only 27 million euros per season. Apparently, Bean's bid was tens of millions of euros higher for the rights but they ultimately withdrew their offer due to uncertainty and the lack of transparency around the process. Now, this may seem a little bit off topic, but the reason I mention it is because the league, first and foremost, is responsible for growing Serie A worldwide. If they do that, all clubs will benefit. The most effective way to grow the league is through TV deals, both for the revenue that they generate and for the exposure of these clubs to potential new fans. Now, when I refer to the league, I'm not just referring to Dalpino, De Siervo, and Gravina. I'm also referring to the club owners and presidents. Apparently, the vast majority of clubs voted against Bean's offer. It seems the foreign owners are doing their best to grow the league, and the Italian owners are doing their best to stop it. We know that the Friedkins were responsible for bringing Bean to the table. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Rocco Comiso supported the deal. He owns a huge media company in the US, so he understands this business better than most. And this is why it was so important for Serie A to create a media company, which is another deal they botched a few years ago. They had a long-term, multi-billion euro deal with CBC lined up, and they ultimately backed out of it. This failure in the MENA region is proof of why that media company is needed. It's simply too difficult to get consensus from so many different owners to make decisions quickly. La Liga was offered a similar deal by CVC and they snatched it up, so don't be surprised if La Liga begins to outpace Serie A over the next few years. Now, David and Adriano also talked a little bit about why the English Premier League is so far ahead of everyone else, and one of the reasons David provided for the EPL success, not the only reason, but one of the reasons, is that the default second language on the planet is English. David noted that for about 15% of the world's population, or around a billion people on the planet, English is their second language. And yet, if you follow Sedia's official English account, their posts are sometimes incomprehensible, literally incomprehensible. So if you're not reaching the English-speaking community, you are missing a huge opportunity. So that's why we're missing the boat at the league level, but we're also missing the boat at the club level. The clubs that Matt mentioned, Juve, Inter, Milan, and Roma, all have very good English social media accounts. Roma led the charge on that front even before their American owners, the freaking group, took over. Some of the other North American-owned clubs, like Bologna and Fiorentina, now have pretty good English social media accounts as well. But Napoli's social media is rather poor. They write well in English, but they make almost no effort to interact with their English-speaking fans. Frankly, other than through socios, they make very little effort to interact with any fans at all. All of their posts are either match-related, training-related, official club statements, throwback Thursday videos, and so on. Now, that stuff's important. I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that, but it's also important to engage with your fans. Our Spanish and Brazilian accounts actually do a better job of engaging with fans who speak Spanish and Portuguese. Those four clubs Matt mentioned have also been much more progressive. They all have women's teams that compete in the Serie A Femenile, they all have youth academies all over the world, and they're all good at communicating with and engaging with their fans all over the world. That is how you create a global brand. Napoli has no affiliation with a women's team. Napoli's Italian academy has received almost no investment, never mind opening youth academies around the world. And as I said, they don't communicate well or engage with their global fans. Going back to the Lega Football podcast and why Serie A has fallen behind, Adriano talked about how, while he loves the country and he loves living in the country, they use outdated approaches and there is that bit of a lack of respect for anything that's not Italian that does interfere with potential growth. And he noted that that's not unique to Calcio. Those at the very top of many organizations have a seeming lack of awareness that the world is a little bit bigger than just that country. The EPL put a 30-year plan in place, and that is now paying dividends. Serie doesn't even have a plan, and I think Napoli mimics the league in that regard. For instance, we have a beautiful new website, but it's entirely in Italian. 
there does not seem to be an actual plan to grow the brand internationally, or rather, it seems like our entire global marketing plan is to sign players from other countries. That only gets you so far because in any given season, you're only allowed 4 non-EU players. So for us to become like Juve, like Inter, like Milan and like Roma, the first step is to realize that this is an issue, to become aware. Hopefully our partnership with Coca-Cola helps because they are a global brand, but at the moment, I don't expect much to change anytime soon. So that will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll answer questions related to the transfer market. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Fortsanopoly podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com forward slash Fortsanopoly pod. I intentionally don't have exclusive content there because I want the show to remain entirely free for everyone. That's just an avenue to support what we do here and hopefully continue to provide quality content. Okay, let's move on to the transfer-related questions. We'll start with Dieter who says, Hi Joe, will Dries Mertens, Fabian Ruiz, Victor Osman play at Napoli next season? What are your expectations for the upcoming season of Napoli if they make the right transfers? Who should Napoli target as a replacement for Koulibaly? Okay, so let's go through each player and question one at a time. On Mertens, I think that with each day that passes, he becomes less and less likely to sign a new contract. I think what's stalling those negotiations is the possibility that Napoli might sign Paolo Dybala. I don't think we're likely to sign him, but I do think we've joined the race. Spalletti spoke very highly of Dybala in the fan event at Di Maro, and we know that Spalletti only views Mertens as a substitute player. I can't imagine Mertens will wait forever either though, he doesn't have many options on the table so I think if he doesn't reach an agreement soon, he'll probably pull the trigger on a deal with Marseille. I think the other two players that Dieter asked about are more likely to play for Napoli this season. I think the club would like to cash in on Fabian as he has only one season left on his contract and seemingly has no desire to play for Napoli beyond the current season. The problem is the offers are simply not coming in. Maybe they will, there's still time, but we also need time to find a replacement if we sell Fabian. There have been talks about Svanberg as a possible replacement. Now, We'll talk about the friendly against Aonaune in part 3, but we saw Gianluca Gaetano play in that role, so he could be a cheap alternative as well, though I don't think either of those players are anywhere near as good as Fabian is today. One thing I want to point out is that, contrary to public belief, it's okay to occasionally lose players on a free. Even that statement, lose on a free, is not really accurate. The decision clubs are constantly faced with is, do we take one of the offers on the table, or do we keep the player and play him? In other words, there is a value to that season of having the player in your squad. If we got an offer for Fabian for 15 million euros, for example, we might be better off keeping him and letting him play out his contract, 
even if accepting that offer would mean not losing him on a free. Finally, I'm almost certain that Victor Osman will play for Napoli this season. We know that he wants to one day play in the Premier League, but he also wants to play for Napoli, particularly this season in the Champions League. Unless a mega offer comes in, like 150 million euros, I think Osiman will play one more season for Napoli, and then we'll look to cash in on him next season. In terms of my expectations for Napoli season, I think top 4 is the clear target. I think the Scudetto is still a stretch target, but that will largely depend on who we bring in. I don't think we'll lose too much quality from the departures of Insignia and Mertens. Insignia had a poor season by his standards, and Kvaratskhelia seems to be the real deal. Mertens is nothing more than a substitute for Spalletti, but I imagine that's a bigger loss off the field than it is on the field in terms of his leadership and what he does for team morale. But Ospina and Koulibaly are without a doubt the biggest losses so far. I'm happy to give Meret a chance, but he is not as good as Ospina, and no matter who we sign at center back, they will not be as good as Koulibaly. That said, I think we still have a very good chance of finishing in the top 4. The only team that scares me is Lazio because they've made a lot of quality young signings. Roma have signed Selic and will probably sign Fratesi, but they could likely lose Zaniolo. Luka Jovic is an excellent signing for Fiorentina, and I'm not aware of many big moves by Atalanta, so I think some people might just be overreacting a little bit to the loss of some of these key players. Finally, who should Napoli target to replace Koulibaly? That one is really difficult to answer. I was convinced that Kim Min-jae would be the replacement. We've been following him for a long time. The only reason we didn't sign him in January was because he wanted to play regularly ahead of the World Cup, and Napoli couldn't guarantee that. Of course, with Koulibaly leaving, we can guarantee that now. He has an affordable buyout clause at 20 million euros, and because of the Decreto Crescita, we would say 50% of the taxes on his salary. Unfortunately, we seem to have fallen behind Ligue 1 Club Rennes in the race for Min Jae, even though we're playing in the Champions League and they would have to qualify. Now, I'm recording this on Friday afternoon and this story has constantly changed, but as of the time of this recording, nothing has been made official, which means we still have a chance. If it's not Min Jae, then we have a few other options, though apparently Nikola Milankovic is not one of them. Apparently he is not interested in playing for Napoli, which I'm totally fine with. I don't think he's as good as everyone is making him out to be. Maybe he'll prove me wrong at a bigger club, but I'm not too fussed about losing out on him. PSG's Abdou Diallo is another player we've been linked to. I don't know too much about him, but from what I've heard, he was very good at Borussia Dortmund before making the move to PSG. The problem is he hasn't played a whole lot since joining them, so that is a bit of a risk. Finally, we've been linked to Francesco Acerbi, who I thought was a horrible idea. He wasn't good for Lazio last season or for the national team, and he's 34 years old. However, my friend Pizza Dan made a really good point on this, which is that Echerbi could actually be a fifth center back, which would give us the flexibility to play with a three-man back line. That actually makes a lot of sense, especially if we're serious about going after Paolo Dybala, as Dybala could necessitate a change to a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-1-2. Let's move on to Sam's questions next. She sent us three questions. The first is, has Napoli ever faced a moment in time with this many key players leaving all at once? 
The closest comparison, I would say, is the end of the Maradona era in the early 90s, but it was a very different situation. Napoli were in such a bad financial situation that over the span of about five seasons, we sold off literally all of our best players. In the season that Maradona was banned from Serie A, which was the 1990-91 season, we also sold goalkeeper Giuliano Giuliani to Udinese and Andrea Carnevale to Roma. The following season, Alessandro Renica joined Hellas Verona. The season after that, Fernando de Napoli went to Milan and Alemão joined Atalanta. In 93-94, Gianfranco Zola reluctantly joined Parma and Careca went off to play in Japan. Finally, the season after that, our Napolitan defender Ciro Ferrara joined Juventus. A few seasons later, we were relegated to Serie B and then we eventually went bankrupt. But there were a few key differences between that exodus and the current one. While both teams lost players for financial reasons, the team from the 90s had massive financial problems while De Laurentiis is merely trying to get the books in order. The second difference has to do with quantity and timing. We lost many more players in the 90s, but it was spread over 4 or 5 seasons, while the current team is potentially losing 4 massive players all at once in Ospina, Koulibaly, Insigne and Mertens. And the final difference is the current players are doing the honorable thing and joining clubs that likely won't play against Napoli. Insigne went to Toronto in MLS, Ospina went to Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia, Koulibaly remained the closest going to Chelsea, we could well play against him in European competition, but he also turned down a pretty strong offer from Juventus, and we'll see where Mertens ends up if he does not renew, but the most likely destination is Marseille, they're also a team we may run into in Europe, but it's not a Serie A club like Lazio. If you look at the players who departed in the 90s, Many of them went to our biggest rivals at the time, Hellas Verona, Roma, Milan, and Juventus. Ciro Ferrara is still hated by many Napoli fans for making that move. Now very quickly, there were two other occasions where we either lost a lot of players or we lost key players. A couple of seasons prior to Maradona being banned from Serie A, we had another mass exodus, but again, it was for very different reasons. Bruno Giordano, Claudio Garella, Moreno Ferrario, Salvatore Bagni, and Giuseppe Bruscolotti, all key players in the Scudetto winning campaign of 86-87, were transferred out on suspicion of match-fixing. Coach Ottavio Bianchi was absolutely livid about players throwing matches, which ultimately cost us the Scudetto, and years later it was confirmed that at least some of those players were in fact involved in match-fixing. The other generation where we saw major transfers was between the 2012-13 and 2013-14 seasons when, of course, we sold El Poco Lavezzi and Edinson Cavani in back-to-back -back seasons. We also lost a few other players like Morgan De Sanctis and Walter Gargano during those seasons. Now, unlike Ospina, Koulibaly, Insigne, and Mertens, who are all in their 30s, Lavezzi and Cavani were both in their prime when they were sold. We'll see how De Laurentiis replaces these four players, but it will be next to impossible to match what he did back then. In one mercato, De Laurentiis signed Higuain, Albiol, Callejon, Mertens, and Duvan Zapata, and the following season, he signed a certain Kalidou Koulibaly. Okay, let's move on to Sam's second question. She says, Inter lost a lot of players last year. Can we compare the two clubs? 
Is this a trend as Italian teams need to make money back? What is the direction we're heading into in general for soccer? I'd say there are some similarities between Napoli and Inter, but also some differences. Both clubs are selling star players for financial reasons, that's true. I think the main difference though is Inter had no choice but to sell Lukaku and Hakimi. Long story short, the Chinese government wouldn't let companies move money out of China during the pandemic, so Suning had to refinance its debt at super high interest rates with a vulture capitalist in Oaktree. The only way for Inter to make its annual payments on the loan is to sell its best players, which is why they're trying to sell Screenyard this summer. If they don't make those payments, they default on their loan and Oaktree takes over the club because the club is being held as collateral, much like Elliott Group took over Milan from Lee Yong-Hong a few years ago. De Laurentiis is not going to lose his club if he doesn't extend these contracts. The club has plenty of money in reserves, which is why we were able to survive the pandemic despite losing about 100 million euros over the last two seasons. De Laurentiis is merely trying to lower his wage bill and whether we like it or not, he's doing just that. The question is, will there be a long term cost? That all depends on who we're able to sign, but I for one am very concerned. I think we can still make the top 4 with the right acquisitions, but that is now at risk. Likewise, it was always going to be difficult to get out of the group stage of the Champions League, now that seems next to impossible. In both cases, we risk losing significant revenue in the future, but like Inter, incoming transfers are the key. Inter have the best sporting director in the world, and he's been showing why. Last season, he said Edin Dzeko and Hakan Chalanoglu on a Bosman and Denzel Dumfries at a relatively low cost. He also bought Robin Gosens from Atalanta, who will be the replacement for Ivan Perisic this season. Now, he did get extremely lucky this season with the whole Lukaku situation, and Lukaku basically forcing his way back to Inter, although some believe that was their plan all along. Inter also signed Andre Onana on a Bosman and he will be a much needed replacement for Samir Handanovic. Handanovic may start the season as the number one but it's only a matter of time I think before Onana takes over. Marotta signed Henrik Mkhitaryan on a Bosman as well and Inter could well sign both Bremer and Paolo Dybala so that is Beppe Marotta just being Beppe Marotta. Now, this is definitely a trend in Italy. Frankly, it's a trend almost everywhere. Most clubs were hit pretty hard by the pandemic and are trying to recover. The biggest league with the deepest pockets is the Premier League, so we're seeing the best talent migrate in that direction. The only other place that can afford to spend big on players is PSG. Finally, in terms of where soccer or football is heading, it's really difficult to say. One thing we know almost for certain is that the gap between the EPL and everywhere else is going to continue to grow. That's really going to obscure transfer values. Now, you might think that this will push us towards a Super League, but I wonder if the gap will get so big that the Premier League itself just becomes the Super League. Perhaps the Premier League already is the Super League. In that leg of football interview with Adriano Del Monte, Adriano uses a very simple but powerful stat to demonstrate how big that gap has become. And that stat is that the teams at the very bottom of the Premier League table made more money last season than the Italian champions AC Milan. Sam's final question is, Inter lost so many players but won the Scudetto, can this happen to Napoli? Absolutely it can. Napoli may not be the favorites, but we absolutely can still win the Scudetto. Now, to clarify, Inter won their last Scudetto before they had to start selling off all their players. 
but they were still the favorites for most of the season last season despite not winning it. And the team who won the Scudetto last season, Milan, did it on a lower salary and with a squad of players who were very young and relatively unknown when they were purchased. So it's definitely possible, but it will be extremely difficult. Our final transfer question comes from Matt. He asks, how much does Spalletti's formation come into play when making moves in the transfer window, etc.? The answer is the coach's formation is absolutely critical to the club's transfer strategy. This is why we see the coach and the sporting director speak so often in the summer. The coach has to identify the weaknesses in the squad and the specific qualities he's looking for in incoming players. The sporting director's job is to find those players with those qualities and negotiate the transfers within the parameters set by the owner, which is obviously not very easy to do when your owner is De Laurentiis. Now, there are always exceptions to the rule and Paulo Dybala is one such exception. As I mentioned, if we sign Dybala, we most likely need to change our formation. We'd probably have to play with a two-man attack, so a 3-5-2, 4-4-2, or 3-4-1-2, but that could necessitate other changes to the squad. In general, though, most coaches have a preferred formation and they tend not to deviate away from it too much, which means you have to buy players that fit into that system. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about our first friendly at Di Maro and we'll provide an update on the Feminile. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part three of the Fort Zanapoli podcast. Let's close the pod with Di Maro and the Feminile. I didn't actually receive any questions on Di Maro, so I'm going to go ahead and ask myself, Joe, what did you think about the friendly against Bassa and Naune on Thursday? Obviously, we should be careful not to read too much into a performance against a club from the Eccellenza, who apparently can't afford to buy shorts for every player on the team. But let's start with the squad. Four players were not available. Juan Jesus is the proud father to a beautiful baby girl named Maya. Congratulations, Juan. Fabian Ruiz, Elif Elmas, and Matias Oliveira were left out for precautionary reasons. Now, Fabian left training early on Wednesday, but hopefully it's nothing serious. And as we know, the club is being very careful with Oliveira's knee sprain. So we won the match 10-0, which is pretty good, I guess. Looking at our squad, it was more like we played two 45-minute matches. In the first 45, we played with Meret in goal, Rachmani and Zanoli at centre-back, Mario Rui at left-back and Di Lorenzo at right-back, and Gisa and Lobotka played in the double pivot, Cavara played on the left, Lozano on the right, Zielinski in the 10, and Petania up top. Then in the second match, we played with Contini in goal, Di Lorenzo played alongside Costanzo at centre-back, Mario Rui played again at left-back, and Zanoli moved to right-back, Deme and Gaetano played in the pivot, Zerbin played on the left wing, Politano on the right wing, Unas played in the 10, and Osimen played at striker. So it was basically two different squads for each half, and neither of them was our best 11. You could probably pick and choose players from each of those squads 
to make a better 11. Now, one of the players that did play the full 90 minutes was Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and he wore the captain's armband, so it seems like he will be the captain for the season, which I think makes sense given the players who are no longer in the squad. In terms of individual performances, I think it was the two left wingers who stood out the most. Cavada assisted the opening goal after dribbling past two players. He scored two goals, first a low shot into the bottom corner and then a lovely lob over the keeper. He already seems to have a very good understanding with Mario Rui. So things are looking very good in the early stages for Cavada, but obviously we have to see how he fares against stiffer competition. Zerbin was very good in the second half. He scored a lovely goal, also in the bottom corner at the far post. Like Cavada, he dribbled past a couple of players before that goal. We also saw his flexibility with Zadatka coming off the bench. Zerbin moved over to play at right back, though that was more like playing on the right wing considering the ball barely entered our half. Another player that stood out in the second half was Matteo Politano. He scored two goals and hit the upright as well. We hit the upright four or five times in this match, so this one could have easily finished 15-0 instead of 10-0. I thought Politano was very explosive on the ball. He looked confident running at the defenders, as he should have been playing against much weaker opposition. But it was great to see that his contract negotiations didn't really affect the quality of his play I'm not sure the same can be said of Andrea Pitania, or perhaps this is just Pitania's level. Though he assisted on Cavada's first goal, he did very little else to impress us. I thought he was sluggish, he missed a number of opportunities to score, and he passed up on shots he probably should have taken, which is not something you want to see from your strikers. So all in all, I thought it was a pretty good performance, but take it with a grain of salt. Obviously, it wasn't exactly the most difficult competition. Okay, let's close the pod with a question from Raf Biz on Instagram. He asks, what is your outlook on Napoli Femminile next season? Do they have a chance to climb up back to Serie A? This is a difficult question for me to answer for a couple of reasons. First, I haven't watched Serie B Femminile since Napoli were promoted three seasons ago. And even then, I had only just started following the Femminile, so I don't know how this Napoli team will stack up against the competition. In theory, you would think that a team that was just relegated would have a decent chance of jumping right back up. But the other reason is for the second consecutive season, the Feminile are overhauling their squad. So let me take this opportunity to update you all on the changes that have already happened. First, club founder and president Lello Carlino stepped down from his position though he says it was not because Napoli were relegated. Rather, the club has a policy that they elect a new president every two seasons, so he would have stepped down regardless. He's still with the club in an advisory role. I believe his official title is honorary president. Meanwhile, Carlino has been replaced by Alessandro Maiello. Maiello was previously the president of Napoli's youth sector, and he happens to be the CEO of Napoli's main sponsor, Idea Bellezza, which is a makeup company. One of the first decisions Maiello and Carlino made together was to hire the club's first sporting director. The man they've settled on is Biagio Seno. Seno was previously employed by Pomigliano. I don't believe he was the sporting director there, but Seno was part of the team that helped Pomigliano earn a double promotion from Serici all the way up to Serie A. This is apparently a new position as Marco Zwingauer will continue to be the club's general manager. Completing the overhaul at the management level, Giulia Domenichetti and Roberto Castorino were relieved of their positions as joint managers at the end of last season. 
The same day the club announced the appointment of Sano, they also announced the appointment of new head coach Dmitry Lipov. He will be the club's first foreign manager. The French coach served as an assistant for Ligue 1 clubs Lyon and PSG, as well as for CSKA in Moscow and a few clubs in China. So those are the changes at the management level. There have been plenty of changes to the squad as well. So let's go through each position. In goal, both Yolanda Aguirre and friend of the pod, Kelly Cavado, have joined new clubs. Aguirre returned to Spain to join Sevilla, while Cavado is off to Brazil to play for Flamengo. I haven't seen anything on first keeper Raquel Baldi, but I have to think that she will move on. She is far too good to play in Serie B. Now, we do already know one of the replacements in goal, Sabrina Tasselli, returns to Napoli after spending last season at Fiorentina. She was our keeper for the second half of the 2020-21 campaign after Catalina Perez got hurt. Unfortunately, she had a rough time in Toscana. She made six starts in Serie A and didn't win a single match. Nevertheless, I think she is more than capable of defending the goal for us in Serie B should Baldi move on. Let's move next to our back line. Our one Napolitan player, Paola Di Marino, has been confirmed, so she surely will be our captain for the upcoming campaign. Meanwhile, centre-back Lana Golob bid farewell to Napoli with a post on Instagram. We don't know where she's heading, but her post suggested that she will remain in Serie A. She's been replaced by former San Marino centre-back Melissa Nozzi. We also signed right back Eleonora Oliva, who spent the last two seasons at Hellas Verona. She could be thought of as a replacement for Kaya Ertzin, who also announced on Instagram that she will be leaving Napoli. That is a huge loss for us, but like Baldi, she is simply too good to play in Serie B. The Oliva signing also makes me wonder whether Sedia Bramson is on her way out as well, as a Bramson is a natural fullback. In the midfield, Emma Eriko is also leaving Napoli. She also posted on Instagram, but like Golob, we don't know just yet where she will land. Meanwhile, Claudia Maori will spend another season with the club and assures Napoli fans that she will make sure the new players know the importance of playing for Napoli. Up top, Soledad James has returned to her home country of Brazil. She will also play for Flamengo. In fact, she transferred to Flamengo before Cavaro did. I know they are close friends, so I would not be surprised if Sola played a role in helping Cavado get to Flamengo. Sola has been replaced by striker Adriana Gomez, who joins Napoli from Torres. The club also announced on Friday that they've signed Sara Tamborini from Empoli. Finally, the biggest loss of all is Eleonora Goldoni. The forward announced a while ago that she would be leaving Napoli, but we only recently learned that she is joining Sassuolo, and I for one am very happy for her. Sassuolo finished 4th in Serie A last season, and for a good while they were neck and neck with Juventus at the top of the table. They ultimately tailed off, but Sassuolo are a very good club, so this is a big step up for Goldoni, and in my opinion, she fully deserves it. So that brings us to the end of our Q&A special. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Hopefully I've been able to answer them for you. Feel free to send me questions whenever you like and I'll do my best to respond either on social media or on the podcast. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. I will be back next week to review our friendly match against Perugia on Sunday. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.